Athletes are always looking for the edge that will help them excel in their sport. There are many choices today, just look in your local gym. What is safe and what might be effective? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothills Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host. And with me today is Dr. Christine Rosenblum. Dr. Rosenblum is a professor in the Division of Nutrition and Associate Dean for Academics in the College of Health and Human Sciences at Georgia State University in Atlanta. She is a certified specialist in sports dietetics. Her research interests include nutrition for athletes and active people. Dr. Rosenblum publishes on nutrition assessment and nutrition knowledge of athletes and writes reviews on sports nutrition as a contributing editor for Nutrition Today. Welcome to ReachMD. Well, thank you, Dr. Lund. It's great to be here. Dr. Rosenblum, is the use of supplements to enhance performance a, a relatively new thing? No. Using supplements of all kinds have been around for a long time. And there was a paper written not too long ago by a colleague of mine, Liz Applegate, out in California, where she looked at the history of this and found that as early as three and 400 B.C., uh, warriors, we didn't really call them athletes then, were using all kinds of things like the hearts of deers or the liver of a lion with the idea that eating those things would give you those characteristics of the animal. Wow. The difference today is that we've been able to distill that down to a pill that anybody can take. Huh, yeah, lion heart pill. Is, is that available in the gym yet? I haven't seen that one. Not yet, but give it time. <laughs> <laughs> what are the common supplements you see nowadays? Well, it really depends on the area of the country that you're in and probably the sport that you're dealing with. But I see a lot of athletes using creatine, caffeine, anything that gives you an energy boost like caffeine. And then a new one on the scene is green tea extract or what uh, chemically we call EGCG and nitric oxide. So those are some hot ones right now. Ah, okay. Well, let's begin with creatine. Uh, what's the history behind that? Well, creatine's really interesting. and I think I would jump back by just saying anything with sports supplements, there's usually some kernel of truth to it. There's some physiological mechanism there that really is plausible. It's just that the, I like to say the marketing's ahead of the science um, often. But the creatine first came on the scene after the 1992 Olympic Games, and there was a British sprinter named Linford Christie who won the gold in the 100-meter event. And he was 32 at the time, which was a pretty advanced age to win that event. So he told the media that he was taking a brand new dietary supplement called creatine. Mm. And that just caught on like wildfire. So everybody from high school kids in the gym to football players just jumped on the bandwagon and started taking creatine. Wow. So what did the studies say? Well, the studies are, are a little bit equivocal, but I think the bottom line for creatine is that it is beneficial for athletes probably more so in their training than actually in the sport, uh, for those power events, events like sprinting and jumping, uh, anything where you need a real burst of energy, a, a real anaerobic or without oxygen event, creatine is going to be beneficial. Now, I have to tell you, I kind of freaked out when my uh, teenage son brought some creatine home to help him in baseball. Uh, what are the risks of using creatine? Well, there are a couple of concerns with younger children using creatine. The American College of Sports Medicine does not recommend that anyone under the age of 18 use this because we just don't really know what the long-term effects might be. When creatine was first on the scene, a lot of athletes complained of muscle fatigue or muscle cramping or even muscle pulls and strains, and everyone assumed it was because of the creatine. Now what we think probably happens is that athletes get overconfident and they probably train too hard because creatine might help them with training, particularly the strength training. So they may push themselves 
a little farther than they would normally do, and that might lead to some muscular injury. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's move to caffeine. Uh, caffeine? Uh, why would they use caffeine? Well, caffeine is one of those great substances for athletes, and a lot of people know that. Um, people would say, gee, you know, I have a cup of coffee in the afternoon, and then I go out for my evening run, and I feel so much better. So what we know about caffeine is that it probably has three effects on your performance. First, it increases epinephrine or adrenaline in the blood, and that gives you a boost and a charge, so you feel more energized. And the second thing that caffeine might do is have a direct effect on the actual muscle itself. So it might help to change the cell membrane potential so that the muscle that's contracting um, can work harder and longer without becoming fatigued. And then the third thing we all know, it's the mental alertness. Mm. Uh, caffeine you know, always gives us that little boost. And those of us who have to have caffeine in the morning, like me, uh, know that feeling. And so it helps with the mental fatigue of sports. So those three things together make caffeine a pretty potent uh, ergogenic or work-producing aid. Now, do they test for caffeine in organized sporting events like the Olympics? They used to, but they don't anymore because caffeine is one of those drugs that is so common in all of our cultures. So they do not test at the Olympic level, but they still do look at it at, at the college level. So the National Collegiate Athletic Association limits caffeine use. They don't ban it, but it's limited, and it's only looked at in a urine test. But it it takes uh, athletes about eight cups of strong coffee to reach the limit. So you really have to have a lot. And that could have an adverse effect on your performance anyway, because caffeine can make you jittery, (laughs) nervous. Right. Yeah. Although I do remember, I guess, back when they did test, there was an Australian equestrian athlete who got his medals taken away for caffeine. Yeah. You know, the one thing about caffeine that's interesting is, is, is that it is part of our culture, but it's probably not likely that you were going to have too much if you consume beverages, but it's the pills. If you're taking anything in a concentrated pill form, like caffeine pills, which you can do, you you could easily reach a limit that would cause you to be banned from sport. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Christine Rosenblum, recipient of the Sports Cardiovascular and Wellness Nutritionists Achievement Award for her contributions to the research and application of sports nutrition in 2008. And we're discussing the use of different supplements in sports to enhance performance. Now, Christine, the ECGC, that's a new one to me. I thought it was a nightclub. <laughs> right. It's actually EGCG. Ah, so it's, it's a tough one to say. Um, and we say EGCG. CJ because it stands for epogallocatechin gallate, which is a lot harder to say. But this is a supplement that is um, found in green tea. So if you see these weight loss supplements that are green tea extract, that's what they're promoting is the EGCG. And this became really popular when ephedra was banned. Uh, back in 2004, the Food and Drug Administration stepped in to dietary supplements and said no more ephedra because it was associated with several athletes' deaths. So the industry was really on the hunt for some new supplement they could keep those weight loss mm. products going. So uh, EGCG was born. So this is something now you'll see in all kinds of supplements that claim to decrease fat and increase your muscle. Do we have any research that it actually does anything? Well, there is some research on it, more in the weight loss industry. But athletes, you know, they want to have the perfect bodies now. So we do see a lot of crossover between sports supplements and weight loss supplements. And there is a little bit of evidence that uh, EGCG, when, when given in concentrated doses, 
can slightly increase your metabolism. The catch is that all of the studies are done with caffeine. So we don't really know if it's the caffeine or it's the EGCG that's causing the slight change. Another thing that the research has been criticized for is that there's something that we call caffeine uh, naivete. If you don't have a lot of caffeine in your system, if you're not a normal coffee drinker, you're going to respond more to caffeine. And so most of their subjects are caffeine naive. They haven't had a lot of caffeine, so they may have a boost from getting caffeine. For those of us like me who use caffeine in coffee or tea, it's probably not going to have much effect. Now, what about nitric oxide? How do you even take that? (laughs) Well, it is a gas, but they sell it in pill or powder form or liquid form. Yeah, you can get it in all different kinds of ways. But nitric oxide is another one of these supplements that there's a good biological basis for why it might work. However, I'll I'll skip to the end. It probably doesn't have much effect for athletes. But in the clinical medicine literature, um, nitric oxide is a compound that was found to help relax blood vessels. And so in the heart disease world, this was a big deal, and it's derived from an amino acid called L-arginine. And what it does is helps to dilate blood vessels, and by dilating vessels, you would deliver more blood, therefore more oxygen to tissues. So because of that discovery, very quickly the supplement industry latched onto this, and they have products with great names like uh, higher power and um, an NO explode, and you see these bodybuilders on the cover of the supplement packages. But there's very little evidence that it works for people that have normal cardiovascular function or it's going to do all these claims that it makes for athletes. Now, what's the wackiest supplement that you've heard an athlete using? Well, one of the wackiest was around a while ago. It's not popular anymore. And that's another thing with supplements. Athletes know what works. So if it's not working, they're off of it and on to something else. But there was a supplement a few years ago that was called myostatin. And what this was was a supplement that claimed to alter your gene expression. And there was a, uh, there's a, there's a real freak animal, some double-muscled cows or pigs, and the geneticist found that they lacked this particular substance, so their muscles stopped, the normal uh, inhibit, inhibition of muscles was stopped and the muscles got really big. So they claimed, the supplement myostatin claimed, that by taking this, you could alter your genetic expression and you could change muscle signaling so your muscle would continue to grow without any regard to size. Wow. So it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. (laughs) You know, they're always thinking, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. The supplement industry is, is truly amazing. And I can honestly say that I don't ever go to talk to a group of athletes when they don't ask me about some new supplement that I've never even heard about. Now, uh, finally, there's been some buzz uh, about GHB as a sports supplement. How does that work? Well, I haven't seen it too much in the sports world. I've seen it more um, in more illicit drug world. Uh, I believe that that's one of the supplements that is banned and athletes would be tested for. So uh, most of the athletes I know are aware of those things and stay away from it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, yeah. Uh, Bottom line. Any supplement worth taking for those of us that are weekend warriors and and not uh, lifelong professional athletes? Probably not. Uh, I would say that a a multivitamin might be beneficial. For women, calcium would be beneficial for their bone health. Coffee, caffeine might help. Um, And then 
there might be a potential use for supplements like glucosamine or chondroitin, which might help with knee osteoarthritis if you've been a lifelong runner. But there's really no good substitute for training, good equipment, good nutrition, but probably not a lot of benefits for most of these supplements. I was afraid you were going to say that. (laughs) No easy answer, huh? Right. Oh, as always is the case. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're very welcome. We've been speaking with Dr. Christine Rosenblum from Georgia State's College of Health and Human Sciences in Atlanta and talking about the use of supplements in sports. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Lunt, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and your comments, so come visit us at ReachMD.com. We have podcast and on-demand features that allow you to access all of our programs straight from your computer. Thank you for listening.